our passage this morning, Colossians. We are continuing our look in this letter. Um, and just kind of a reminder of where we've been and where we're going. John Calvin uh, in his Institutes opens up this way. He says, true wisdom consists in two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. And so last week we looked at the knowledge of Jesus who is the image of the invisible God. He is God. And we talked about his attributes. And um, this week, we're going to shift with Paul and look at ourselves. Who are we in light of who Christ is? Um, and as I looked at this passage, I just thought, you know, let's be contrarian. Let's use a title that would just kind of wake you up. Once saved, always saved. That's going to be kind of a backdrop to this discussion. And, 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 of course, in the doctrines of Reformed theology, we believe in perseverance of the saints, right? Uh, in Philippians, Paul says, He who began a good work in you will continue to the day, to the final day, to heaven. Uh, I should have that memorized better than that. Um, can, you add, can you add that in the recording? Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Um, it'll be Doug's voiceover. Yet, I think a lot of people, we had, a, we had a discussion on this at Theology on Tap on Thursday. I encourage you to join us on Thursdays at Finnegan's for those of you who want to come talk theology. And, um, but we just discussed kind of how have you heard of that theology? And often it's, it's said that people use it as sort of like, you know, when I was eight years old, I prayed a prayer, and now no matter what I do, I'm good, right? I'm set. I can go anywhere. So that's kind of in the backdrop of this passage for me as I read verse 23. So I'm just I'm letting you know that's where we're going, um, and we're going to look, but we're going to look specifically on what it means for us to be saved and what that looks like in our lives. So Colossians 1:21 to 23. Here we go. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that your word is true. And we praise you for the Apostle Paul and his faithfulness, but primarily we praise you for Jesus giving us these words for the Spirit, opening our eyes to their meaning. And we praise you for Jesus, for the gospel you've delivered to us. We are new creations in you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to that reality this morning freshly. And that the devil or our flesh or this world, none of it would have no ground in this discussion, but only your glory. Amen. Um, it's important for you to go to the doctor for a well checkup. Who goes to the doctor for their well patient checkup? Right, everyone go. Everyone do it. Okay. That's just an aside. Um, kidding. When you go to that doctor's office, the first thing they do is they hand you that clipboard, right? And that clipboard, you're like, I was just here. And they want all your updated information, so you give them that. But then they go through, like, family history. and If you thought you were well, by the time you finish the clipboard, you're like, I think I'm dying. Like, this is horrendous. Okay, this morning, this, this passage is going to be our gospel checkup, right? That's what we're going to do this morning. Paul, he's turned his attention from who Jesus is, though Jesus is certainly in our passage. But he's asking us 
to check up, to see what our views on the gospel are, and primarily what we're doing with it. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, and I'm going to choose a, uh, a cheesy outline for your memory. This is for your sake, okay? Not, this is not for me. This is for you. So the first thing we're going to look at is family history slash pre-existing conditions, okay? Paul starts this whole point with, and you, and then he interrupts himself before continuing in verse 22 with these words, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. I mean, part of me wants to go, like, where does this guy get off, you know? He sent me this letter. He told me how great we were. We were in Christ. And now he's telling me this stuff. Paul has never met the Colossians. He, he did not plant this church. Epaphras did. And so I think it's very, uh, but, but because they're Gentiles primarily, it's very easy to say he's right. I mean, the Gentiles before Jesus came, would have been pagan, and, and certainly he would have guessed correctly. They, they were hostile. They were alienated. They, they no doubt did evil deeds. How do you handle that, though? Because we are all, you know, we're, we're, most of us are raised in this Christian culture. Even if you weren't a Christian until later in life, I've talked to many people who lament that they don't have that amazing testimony. Have any of you ever said that? Like, dang it, I wish I had like an awesome testimony. Like, you know, I wish I wore those leather bracelets with the spikes on them and, you know, ear, you know, I better be careful. And then one day the light came on and I got rid of the bracelet. I quit dealing drugs, you know, I, I quit doing whatever. Actually, my hope for you is that you had a boring, right, a very boring testimony. I pray that for all of our children. It sounds counterintuitive. We want you to have been raised in a home that teaches you about Jesus I want you to be able to say, you know, I never knew a day consciously that I was apart from him. Even though we know actually there is a conversion point, I just know that I was raised in that context and I don't know it. But if that's you, how do you handle this passage? Like, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, well, that's not me. I wish it were. And why do you, why do you say, I wish I had a testimony like that? Have you ever said it? No one ever gave me a hands up on that. I know you've said it, so you have to raise your hand. Anyone else? Like, I kind of wish I had, like, this crazy testimony. It's because you know I'm going to call you out. I, I understand. The reason why I think we want that is, well, selfishly, it just makes us look cooler, right? In a, in a moment of, like, giving your testimony, that point in a conversation. But I think it also shows you a bigger Jesus, right? I think some, some Christians feel like if I really wasn't rescued from a whole lot of sin— I don't know. I just never really got a good start in my faith. And I don't think Paul is actually referring here to particular situations. Rather, I think he's opening up the human condition. All right, this is all of our pre-existing conditions. Our family history and pre-existing conditions is we are alienated from God. Right? In Ephesians, he says, you were dead in your trespasses. So when we read this passage, it is important that we don't ask ourselves like, where in my story did that happen? Though that's fine. You know, where in my history was I alienated? But rather, we need to begin to recognize, this is true of me. Whether I can remember it or not, there's a part of me still that feels hostile. That when I sin, I hate God. That sounds harsh, but it's true. When you sin, at that moment, you are hating God. If you are a Christian, he doesn't cease to love you. 
He still has his hands around you. You are still in Christ. But in the moment of sin, we are hostile. And it stems from the fact that at one point in our lives, whether we consciously remember the moment or not, we were alienated and hostile and we did evil deeds. Let me remind you of the list of the evil deeds of the flesh from Galatians 5. It's very easy. We, we sometimes miss our story because we think of the, the technicolored sin. But he really breaks it up in almost two, not quite two categories, but there's this kind of interesting shift. He talks about um, that the deeds of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. He means actually worshiping like the thing, right? Um, sorcery, that's bad. Like I have not met one a sorcerer yet. If you have, let me know. But look at the next, well, you, or let me just tell you the next word. Enmity, strife, jealousy. Like all of a sudden, wow. Like he's putting this all in one camp. We are naturally, in our nature, all of us, haters of God. And it's not just the Gentile world. Jesus in Mark 8 is talking to the Jewish world, and he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed. In other words, you Jews, not Gentiles, you God-fearing Jews, if you don't have Jesus, you're adulterous. So all of mankind is in camp together here. Um, and the reason I bring that up is I think a lot of our spirituality is stunted because we don't grasp the nature of our hatred toward God or of our sin. We think it's either it never existed or it's all in the past. Um, I was reading a chapter from uh, Bold Love. Some friends are going through the book Bold Love by Dan Allender, and I was reminded of this chapter uh, where he talks about the hatred of God, and he tells a story. And, he, and, he, and it's, I, I'm going to admit, this is an odd story, but he says he bought a pair of socks from the store, wool, nice pair of socks. He gets home, and he takes the outer wrapping off, right? And guess what? They're still stuck. What should you do? Get a pair of scissors. I'm just going to warn you. Always get the scissors. But who does that, right? So he just does what I normally do and just thinks, rip, and, they, and the, the plastic thing comes off. And now there's a hole in his socks. And he just, he said he was angry. And he knew at that moment that his anger wasn't directed at the socks or even himself, but it, it was directed at God, right? And I felt that. I'm like, have you ever slammed your thumb? And just, even if you didn't say the words, thankfully, you held back the, the wrong words, right? In your heart, you were just like, I'm angry, right? Or when you commit any kind of sin, are you trusting in the benevolence of your father? Are you resting in him? Do you understand your family history? Do you understand your pre-existing condition is in nature to be hostile toward God? As a Christian, I want to reiterate, I'm not saying that's your disposition now fully, but know that that was your past and it has a residue in the present, okay? The old man still exists. But then Paul changes over into verse 22. And you, and he says, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We could spend a lot of time on the beauties of that verse. 
Um, what I'm fascinated by, this is now, I'm transitioning into, that was your pre-existing condition. This is your medical or history of medicine. How do you say that? You know when they say, what medicines do you take? I, I thankfully, I'm not currently like on, but I have been on prescription medicines and, I, oh, oh, I take this or I take that. I guess I have an inhaler. I haven't used, I, do you ever do that? Like you have to write it down. And if you have a lot, for those of you that have to put down a lot of medicines, do you feel frail? Like, I, I take a lot of stuff, right? Okay, that's what I think's happened. This is my metaphor here. Paul's like, what's your, what medicine do you take? If that's your past, if that's your disease, what's your cure? Like, what are you doing to be cured? And, of course, the answer is Jesus, right? I mean, that's, I could stop the sermon right there. He, he doesn't say what you would think he would. I think if I were writing this, I would say, and now I've chosen to follow Jesus, and I do these things, and I walk with him, and he's changed my character, and he's done all these things. But that's not what Paul does. Look, listen to verse 22. Verse 21 says, and you, comma. And then verse 22, of course, the verses weren't there when he wrote the original. I understand that. But he never picks that up for a while. He starts with, he continues talking about Jesus. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Paul goes out of his way to say, your change, your healing is brought about 100% by Jesus. Right, 100%. There's nothing you did. But it's not just this past tense. In order to present you in the future holy and blameless and above reproach. Recently, I heard of a theology I looked into. I, I don't want to open a, a can of worms, but something about, um, well, I'll just explain it. And that, and that way I won't get in trouble. There are some people who think that when you're saved and you go to heaven, it'll be by the merit of the works Jesus wrought in you. W-R-O-U-G-H-T by the way, that Jesus formed in you. And there is some interesting thoughts there, like, wow, the fruit that Jesus bears in me is amazing, but here's the point. That's not how you're saved. You are only saved by the body and the blood of Christ, by Jesus himself, and that's what Paul is saying. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, you are completely and utterly saved because of what Jesus did. And when you go to heaven, it's Jesus presenting you before God the Father. That's your medicine. That's your medicine history. Write it down. Know it. The problem is, I think a lot of us, we believe that, but we want to have a little bit of, we want a little bit of involvement, you know? Now, no good, and, I, and some of us, I, I know we all have different theological leanings, but mo, a lot of people I know in this room would say, no, no, Jesus 100% saved me. I would never think I contributed. But I want to I test you on that a little bit. Okay? I think all of us at times are prone to think our salvation, whether our justification or whether however you want to look at it, is somehow improved by what we do. And um, I, here's the illustration I thought of that I think if it doesn't work, it's funny. So... SNL, my favorite skit ever on SNL. Rob Snyder is playing a guitar in the subway. Have you seen this? Sitting there playing guitar. It's in the 80s or 90s when I was younger. And um, I guess we all were younger then. And up walks David Spade, and David Spade throws a coin in. And he's like, what are you doing? Just play, can't I just play a guitar? 
And he grabs his money and walks away. Then Jeff Goldblum walks up. He's the star of the evening, and he's playing a yuppie, and he throws his money in. Again, what, what are you doing? I'm just playing my guitar. And he's I'm sorry. I thought I saw some change. That's where I store my change. He's like, sorry. Picks his coin up. And then the next, finally he starts singing the song. Please give me money. I'm very hungry. Please give me money so I can eat. So Jeff Goldblum throws his money down. So what do you, I just told you. I don't need your money. And it goes back and forth. And the songs get more particular. First he says, it's just a song. You're so prideful to think that song was about you. Then the next words, it wasn't just a song. I really need the money. So he gives them the money. They go back. Finally, it's like, hey, you, mister, the one in the brown corduroy blazer. <laughs> okay, it's hilarious, but all humor is funny for a reason. Because there's something in him that he desperately needed help. But he really didn't want to have to ask for it. You know? And we laugh because I think all of us know that feeling. And you might say, well, that's only when I have like monetary needs or something specific. But I want to say this. In your heart, all of you, and myself included, are at risk of wanting to have some involvement in our salvation. And here's my test. Here's my test for whether this is true or not, because a lot of you are still rolling your eyes, your internal eyes, thankfully. Um, I haven't seen any external eye rolls yet, but I will. Here's the test. How do you handle verse 23? When I read verse 23, or Dan wants to put it up there if he chooses to, it's up to him. Just don't hit all the slides. He's like, this is my surprise midway through the sermon, Dan. Sorry. If indeed you continue in the faith. Aha! How do you handle that? I think there are two responses. Either, there it is. I knew it was too good to be true. Or, of course. Of course you have to do something. What did you think? Do you think it was a free ride? Those are your two extreme solutions. I hope to give the middle road or a third way. Um, what is Paul saying here? What is, what is going on in this, in, this question, in this point, if indeed? Why do we get so upset by these words? And maybe you don't. I, again, there may be someone, no, it's perfect. If indeed you continue in the faith. But when I first read that, what crosses my mind is, wait, how can all the beautiful words in verse 22 mean something if there's this condition, right? Well, first of all, let me say, if indeed is a very fine translation of the two Greek words. Uh, another singular word that can be used for those two words is assuming, but it really has a very similar point. Paul is suggesting that, that there, is a, there will be a quality to your faith if what happened in verse 22 is real. If, if what happened in verse 22 is real, then that will do something for you. It will push you into a direction. It's not, you don't just get a t-shirt. You didn't just get a sticker on the car, a bracelet, something to kind of wave before God, like a, if you go to heaven, if like you're in an accident and, you know, God says, why should I let you in? Well, I've got this answer, you know, this card. Those are fine things. I'm not trying to belittle, but there's something very specific that you have. So here's the once saved, always saved bit. Ready? What it means to be saved is this. Verse 22. He, Jesus, has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death you. 
Remember last week we talked about reconciliation in a bank? The bank doesn't change its, what it thinks you have in your bank account. If, you, if it says you have 30 bucks and you say you have 300, you don't get to meet in the middle. You've got to come up to that $30. You have to figure out what Jesus did that for you. His blood has covered you. You are now a new creation. We have other verses where it says he's transferred you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. You are now fundamentally different. So Paul is simply saying, therefore, the, the assumption is this will do something in your, in your lifestyle. So this is our third point. What is your current lifestyle? You know, that medical quit thing. I, I don't like that one. Like, do you, you know, do you exercise? How many of you lie about that? Uh, yeah, three times a week, you know. And here's the problem. If you lie, it could backfire. Like, this is the one moment you kind of need to be utterly honest. I don't want the doctor to go, oh, you look great. Just go on. Like, I so see you have to kind of tell the truth. Like, well, I don't really, I think I had a cigar, you know. Like, I don't know. Is that smoking? Okay, so I had a beer. Is that, hmm. What is your current lifestyle? That's, that's what we're looking at right here. That's what Paul's basically asking, right? Are you resting in the gospel? So I have a few illustrations. The first, I like, I, we all like money, so I'm going to use money. Uh, and we shouldn't like it as much as we do. Just That's an aside. Your, your aunt passed away and left you a trust fund. And you never met her. It's one of those movies. And so you have this trust fund and the lawyer sits down with you. So you're not sad because you never knew her. Okay, this is all happy. And the lawyer says, here's the thing. You have enough money to, to meet all your financial needs. Here's the thing. Every, every month on the 20th, you have to go to the mailbox, get the check, get it out of the mailbox, and then take it to the bank and sign it. How many of you are going to be like, oh, there's a condition? You know, right? Like, I knew it. Okay, but there's better. That's not, that's not the greatest illustration, but there are better ones. Here's a better one. If you look at the three words, they describe you, but you and the gospel, or you in the gospel, stable, steadfast, not shifting. Paul is choosing architectural words to say, if you remain in Jesus, if you are in him, it is like a structure that's stable. I was meeting with John this week. And they're about to go on an RV trip. And I said, hey, I think I have a good illustration. My, I've never done an RV, but if you pull into the KOA in Oklahoma or Texas, you're going to want to know what's going to happen if a storm's coming, right? Because your RV's not going to last, even yours. And so let's, here's my, my, you walk up and they say, we have this perfect, perfect like building. And when the storm's coming, you go into that structure and you're safe. And it can withstand like an F5, an EF5. And a 4.4 earthquake. It's perfect. So you go into that structure and the storm's coming. And you see someone walk outside during the storm. And they get hit by a hailstone. And they run back in. This thing is broken. What do you say? Like, you have to be in the structure. Like, because if you think that this structure is making you invincible out here on your own, you're crazy. Like, that's a wrong view of, of theology. And I think a lot of Christians think that. They think, I went in, I looked around, I prayed, I did my thing. Now I'm out. I mean, I can do whatever I, either I can do whatever I want, and, and, and that's okay. 
I've got to come back to that. Or more importantly, I should have enough strength from having been in the building to go out and just be effective in everything I do. And the reality is, I don't think that's a great illustration, so I'm going to use my third one. It's like medicine, right? If you have to take a pill every day to stay alive, would you do it, right? Wouldn't you do that? And so what we're not saying is you have to do any particular action to stay a Christian. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is to stay a Christian, you're united to Christ in everything you do. You're never outside of Jesus. Even in sin, Jesus does not depart from you. So I feel like I've got to clear one thing up as we move into our final five minutes. Um, one, one thing that I've heard before, and I want to clear up, I hope nobody thinks, is if you sin, like, like five minutes ago you did a sin, whatever it is, and it was clearly a sin, and everyone would agree you sinned. Okay, I don't want to list it. And you don't repent for like 20 minutes. And you die in that space between. You're going to heaven. If you're in Christ. Okay, so we're not talking about that, right? What we're talking about is, are you a new creation? Are you in Christ? Is he your hope? Is he your identity? If, it, if he is, then these verses, this is the test I've given you, these verses, uh, verse 23, excuse me, these words will bring comfort, that he is stable, that he is steadfast, that in him there is no shifting, the hope of the gospel that you heard. What Paul is doing is preparing them for the fact that heresy is coming, the world is coming, Satan is coming, and their own flesh is on the, on the prowl. And, and he is saying the gospel is secure, the gospel is everything. So I'm going to read you a few verses that we've already covered as we begin to close. In verse 13, here's what, here's what Paul says about Jesus. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And then verse 22, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So Jesus and you are together. You're united. So I have a new illustration, and it's not going to be amazing, but I'm going to go for it. It's like your own robot suit. It goes wherever you go, okay? It, 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 it's your new, is that, is that, too, is that too cheesy? Chris, you like that? Because it could also be one of those clear bubbles, but you can't get anywhere. Like the, you know. the point is, wherever you go, you are new. And that's not even a good illustration. But when you try to get away and step outside, there is danger in that. There are problems in that. And then here's the, here's the mystery of all mysteries. Um, the question is, do I like Jesus and want to press into him? Or do I feel like I'm repelled by him? And my prayer is if you are in Christ, that you would be in Christ pressing in, but Paul certainly recognizes that there are people who will say, oh, I've prayed the prayer, I've done the thing, but they really haven't yet received Christ. And that is a caveat. That is a type of soil that exists that we have to acknowledge. So for those of us that have received Christ, we, this is a comforting passage, but if it scares you, it might be a good opportunity either 
to have a gospel checkup, do I really believe what I know to be true? Or have a serious moment where you say, am I a Christian? Not to be scared all the time, but to actually open up the possibility that maybe I haven't yet prayed and received Christ and been transformed in him. What a perfect opportunity this morning, if you are not a Christian, to receive him, to pray that he would open your eyes, that he would come in and make you a new creation, that maybe you've been playing a type of game, and maybe this morning Paul, through this letter, would say, hey, let's, let's not play the game anymore. But if you know, no, that's not my situation, I am in Christ, then please be excited by the reality of the fact that you have already been transferred into the kingdom of light, you are already found in him, and you are blameless and above reproach before God the Father because of Jesus' reconciling you in his body and his blood. And in a few moments when we come to the table, that's exactly what we will do. We will be taking communion as a celebration of what Jesus has done in our lives. Is that your story? Is that your gospel checkup? If so, there's much to be excited about. Um, And then if you have any questions on once saved, always saved, email Doug. Right? Email me. We can talk more about that theology. It's not easy to understand. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for the surety of the gospel. Lord, we are the ones that are fickle. We are the ones that wander and, and drift Yet, Lord, we know that if we are your children, we cannot get outside of you. But, Father, I pray that that would not be a tool Satan uses for unbelievers. I pray that if there is anyone here playing that game, they would receive you now. And, Lord, if there is anyone here who is a believer but is fearful and doesn't feel your assurance, I pray you would give them assurance, resting in you. You are a good, good Father. The gospel is steadfast, unwavering, secure. And I pray we would long and love to dwell in that reality. Make that be true, Lord Jesus. Amen.